Trigger warning. This episode mentions depression, anxiety, suicide, eating disorders, and other difficult topics that could be upsetting for some listeners. Dear athletes and former athletes, I see you, I hear you, and I understand you. My name is Marissa Hagler, my pronouns are she, her, and welcome to Hurdling Through Hard Times. Today's episode is all about mental health, specifically what it's like for an athlete as they grow and retire from their sports. Today is a heavy topic with a lot of information and stories from athletes of all different sports. This is to show all athletes that whatever it's like for your sport, you're not alone in your struggles. So before getting into it, let's do a quick check-in. So for those that don't know, at the beginning of every episode, I ask the question, what color is your heart today? And this color is what your body and soul feels represents how you feel in the moment in your color. It's different and unique for everyone, which is one of the reasons that I love this question so much. So for some people, happiness represents yellow. For others, it might be purple. And whatever color you feel works best for you is the color that you should say. So what color is your heart today? And mine, I don't, it, I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of like a clear, because like the sky is clear. Like, it's, like, that light blue that the sky is when it's, like, no clouds in the sky. Just because, like, it's a really beautiful bright day outside, and you probably can't see me because you're listening to me, but I'm in my car, and I'm filming this episode in my car on spring break, and I don't really know how this is going to go, how the acoustics are going to sound, but I keep hearing people doing that, and I was like, I just want to try it. So, my color is probably, like, a light blue that you would see when you look up at the sky. Moving straight into things, I want to start off with the phrase that sports don't define you. And I want to share a quick story from one of my friends who kind of went through a little bit of an existential crisis, I feel like. Uh, She DM'd me and told me that she came across my podcast and wanted to share her experience with mental health as a D1 athlete. So Hannah, if you're listening to this, this is your story. So she told me that she's had a really hard time seeing the outside world when it comes to not being in the gym or the weight room because as a D1 athlete at EIU, she's a volleyball player, um, she doesn't have time for a social life. I mean, as a D1 player, from the way that I've always seen it, it's kind of like you're kind of like a piece of meat in a way. Like they use you until they can't use you anymore. And once they can't use you, they throw you out. And like they don't seem to care a lot about D1 athletes' mental health, which is something that I'm going to get into a little bit later as we talk about Katie Myers, who is the Stanford goalie who recently passed away from suicide. So going back to Hannah's story, her life surrounded, she was surrounded by her sport. I mean, that's what it was from when she was young up until she retired. And this past year, she learned a lot more about what life was. And she, she told me that she had her first real job and she focused more on school and she had a social life and she got to learn who her true friends were overall. And sports can be really suffocating. And it's, it's kind of like throwing someone into the deep end of a pool and expecting them to swim when they've never done it before both figuratively and literally. I mean, like, it's exhausting, and over time, that brings on a lot of mental health struggles. So after she told me about her story of, you know, growing up as an athlete and not having, you know, that big of a social life and now going to a D1 school and not feeling like she was able to express herself fully, I feel like I learned a lot. And so I learned that you kind of have to learn who you are outside of your sport. And as a D3 athlete, when I'm not in season, I can express myself and do more. And I know what it's like to have a life outside of my season. Whereas for people in D1 or D2 sports, it's not the same. I mean, those people eat, sleep, and breathe their sport, which for some people is a dream. But for others, I mean, you don't want to experience only your sport. You don't only want to see the gym at your school. I mean, you want to see 
what it's like to go to a real party, what it might be like to try alcohol or, you know, whatever. Like, you want to be able to try things in society that you weren't able to try because your sport contained you. You know what I mean? So it's more about learning how to function in society, which I think Hannah learned. And this was a great example to start things off because, like, she really had to learn what it was like to not have a sport and to learn how to function in society now that she's not defined by her sport, which... I just thought I would start off with because, I mean, sports don't define you. That's the whole point of this is that sports should not define who you are as a person. And then, you know, once if you do play it in college or even if you just stop after high school, either way or even in high school, I mean, whenever you quit your sport, whenever that may be, it, up, you know, it defined you up until that point, especially if that's what all you focused on. I mean, for me, this past summer was my last summer playing softball and I played that sport for like 15 16 years I mean I can't imagine a summer without softball and this summer is going to be my first and I know it's going to be a struggle for me because I'm going to expect myself to go to practice for that when that's not the case because I'm growing up and you have to get used to this idea of not being defined by your sport anymore so I thought that this was a really good point to start off on. So next we're going to move into some different disorders and things that I did research on through NCAA and other uh, sports organizations, I guess you could say. So again, trigger warning, we will be mentioning anxiety, depression, suicide, and other things that could be triggering to some listeners. So first, we're going to start off with uh, listening to talking about perfectionism. And we put a lot of pressure on ourselves more than our coaches and teammates, I feel like as a perfectionist. I mean, that's what I do, at least. Like, I push myself to now I'm in a boot because I push myself so hard. Actually, fun fact, I just did my first mile walk yesterday without my boot on. And it was so awesome. And I didn't feel pain. And I was really excited. So I'm going to go on another one today because it's so pretty outside. (laughs) Anyway, so as a perfectionist myself in anything that I do, I expect so much more from myself than other people do. And this specifically goes into my sports because as a D3 track athlete and tennis player, I'm expecting every forehand to be perfect or every backhand to be perfect or every race to be a PR. Whereas, I mean, anyone that's in sport knows that's not the case. But you know, as a perfectionist, I put that on myself. And then when I don't hit that goal, I'm not going to get it. So like when I was injured in season and I was still running in races, I was like, why the hell am I not D like, I'm not PRing in anything. Like I haven't PR'd since my first race. And it's like, okay, because ever since that first race, I got hurt. Like I, I haven't been the same athlete that I was in December and it's now March. So as a perfectionist, I learned taking care of my body was a really important thing. And another big one that a lot of uh, athletes suffer from is comparison. So, I mean, constantly comparing ourselves to our teammates or our competitors in the process. But by focusing on other people, we then render our own performance by worrying about others. And I mean, honestly, we're not in the same lane. That's the whole point of it. I mean, if you think of it in track, like I'm not in the same lane as anyone else. And I'm getting different workouts than other people. I'm doing different things. Like, it's not the same thing. So I feel like that's something that we kind of have to keep in mind of... The fact that we're all on different paths, we're all doing different things, but we all have to trust our process. And that's something that I will continue to preach every single day of my life. Trust the process because the process is what's going to get you through it. I mean, whether that's through your religion, through your sport, through your social life, like you trust that process and it's going to get you to where you need to go or where you need to be. And that's that. So by comparing yourself to others, you're not trusting your own process. You're worrying about their process and their process is not your process. So now hitting some heavier parts of talking about anxiety disorders, um, the next couple of things I'm going to be talking about, the symptoms and how you can help yourself or others. So with anxiety disorders, there are symptoms of like feeling dread, jumpy, tense, restless, anticipation of the worst, pounding heart, hyperventilation, sweating, 
uh, twitches, headaches or insomnia, upset stomach. Like there's there's a whole list. And I know anxiety is a big thing for a lot of competitors. So ways that can help. Um, the top thing that's going to be on my list every time is therapy. Talking to someone that you trust, whether it's not, it might not even be a licensed professional. It might just be your coach or one of your close friends. But, um, you know, communicating with them that that's something that you need is something that you're going to get then. Another thing is less caffeine, which I know is something that we all hate, but I recently gave up coffee uh, and I haven't, like, I'll have a sip of it every now and then of, like, my friend's drinks or whatever. COVID, sorry. (laughs) Um, But I I don't, you know, get a whole drink of it anymore because too much caffeine is really, really bad for you, especially if you suffer from anxiety and you don't take medication or anything. Like, I don't personally take medication for my anxiety because it's a symptom of my PTSD, but the more caffeine that you have, the more jittery you get. So I had a midterm last week in astronomy. Oh God, I hate that class. But I had a midterm and I drank a bang because I didn't sleep well the night before because of my anxiety. And then because I had the bang, I was then very jittery and stuff during my test and I was really, really anxious and like my whole body was shaking and I felt gross. And it was just another lesson to when I should not have caffeine. So that's another thing. Also practicing daily self-care, which is something that I'll get into a little bit later in the episode, just like overall self-care things you can do. But I think we all know what works best for us as well as getting enough sleep at night. So I mentioned how I like, I don't know how I did on my exam because I didn't sleep well the night before. Making sure that you're keeping a structured, excuse me, a structured uh, sleeping schedule and getting enough sleep every night, whether, you know, for some people that's five hours of sleep, for some people that's 12. You have to find what works for you. So that's with anxiety. Moving on to depression. Some symptoms are sadness or having an empty mood, dramatic changes in sleep, appetite, energy, concentration. I mean, this is things that you'll recognize in yourself and other people. Guilty, hopeless thoughts, lack of interest in your activities, and suicidal thoughts. And ways that you can help. Again, therapy is at the top of my list. Talking to somebody that you trust. Talking to whoever that may be, being your coach, your teammate, whatever. Um, Developing trust with those others, of like your friends and your mentors, as well as practicing daily self-care. I think daily self-care is something that's really important. And self-care really is... Oh my god, there's a spider. Ooh, sorry. Um, Self-care is something that's like... Oh my god, that's so scary. Ah! (laughs) Uh, Self-care is something that's important for everyone. I mean, finding what works for you and going with it. Then looking into, like, biology, mentally, and social factors can all influence your anxiety and your depression. Because, like, for me personally, depression runs in my family. Both my mom and dad were diagnosed with depression. My sister was diagnosed with depression. I don't know my, about my grandparents, but, like, the fact that it was, you know, biologically my parents had it, it's more likely that I could have it, and that's one of the reasons I see a therapist, because there's ups and downs. I mean, just, like, two weeks ago, I was at a low again, and the week before that, I was probably at the highest I had been for a while, so it really, it changes drastically. It also, as an athlete, it can affect your health, your performance, I mean, injury risk when you're not in focus, suicidal risks which is looking into Katie Myers, the Stanford soccer player who recently committed suicide. That that was a really big thing that I learned about, and she was struggling from depression, and there were other things going on in her personal and social life. And as a D1 athlete, there's a lot of, a lot of pressure on you. I mean, it's, it's a lot. I'm, as a D3 athlete, I feel pressure on me, and I can't even imagine what a D1 and D2 player feels, no matter their sport. And things... You know, high participation in your sport could lead to stress, but also, you know, less focus in school and the low participation could lead to having a harder time coping because for me, I know my sport is what I cope with. So like the fact that I haven't been able to run for what, two or three months now, you know, like I haven't been able to run without pain and I didn't, I haven't ran at all for the last a little over a month, five, six weeks that I've been in the boot. It's hard. 
it's hard coping with those things. And there needs to be a good set balance to keep you in check and in place and doing those mental check-ins with yourself of how am I doing today? How can I change that for myself today? Moving into ADHD, according to the NCAA, it's really common for athletes to have problem focusing, concentration, learning, attention shifts, um, and sustained attention. ADHD is probably the most common psychiatric condition that sports psychiatrists treat. Just for athletes, I mean, it's, it's a really high chance that if you're an athlete, you could possibly have ADHD. And eating disorder, whoa, eating disorders and body dysmorphic disorder is another really big thing. And some symptoms of those are obsessive uh, food and exercise, denying yourself of food to the point of starvation, binge eating or purging, compulsive exercise beyond what's good for you, fear of eating in public, social withdrawals, all of those things can lead to eating disorders or body dysmorphia. And I know because I've suffered from a lot of these things. I mean, it's a battle. Every, every day is a battle when it comes to that type of stuff. It's, it's hard and it doesn't really go away. I mean, it's, you'll just wake up some days and be like, I don't deserve to eat. Or I haven't ate a lot yesterday or like I forgot to have dinner yesterday. I'm going to purge this morning. Like, I don't know. That's, that's something that I've struggled with in the last couple of years, especially with exercise where like I, the reason that I literally had a boot on was because I was doing too much exercising because I didn't feel like I liked my body and like I had the obsession with food and I didn't see the signs because I, I didn't know the signs. I wasn't told the signs. I mean, like I didn't think it was a big deal. So watching yourself and your friends eating, I mean, my roommate checks up on me. My friends check up on me. They'll ask me if I've ate today. My partner checks up on me a lot to make sure that I'm eating and I do the same for them. A lot of people struggle with this and it's not something that's talked about a lot, but like something to look into and talk to others about. So by helping yourself and others, I mean, it's important to accept ourselves and our bodies, staying confident, feeling beautiful. I mean, that's something that I think is big is doing whatever makes you feel good in healthy ways and healthy amounts and finding support in others, whether that's therapy, whether that's friends, whether that's a coach. I had to reach out to a coach and I now see a dietitian, which helps me a lot, even if it's just having conversations back and forth with her and getting ideas of foods to have and doing meal prep. So there's a lot, there's a lot of solutions that you can definitely look into. Okay, this next part is talking about suicide. So this is a trigger warning for anyone that doesn't want to hear this part. Skip ahead, take a break, whatever you need. So some warning signs are mentioning death through writing, talking, or thinking aggressive or reckless behavior, increased alcohol or drug use, social withdrawals, dramatic mood swings, and some signs of imminent danger that could prompt an intervention and needing to talk to this person or, you know, yourself, um, is them then giving away their positions or saying goodbye to people or having unexplained obtaining of dangerous items like guns or knives um, or self-harming behaviors. If you know anyone that is self-harming you need to contact an adult immediately someone that can help them because I can guarantee you they are going to need it and they might be mad at you in the beginning because that's happened but it's better to possibly save their life than regret not trying so if you know of anybody doing anything with self-harm you need to contact someone or yourself if it's yourself reach out to someone and to go a little bit more into self-harm, it for the people that do self-harm, it releases endorphins to, like, the same way that, um, you know, reading or things that make you happy. For me, it's reading or running or whatever. But things that calm you down or make you feel less. Like, if you run your hands under hot water, for me, there's, like, this, like, feeling that goes through my body of, like, release. Those endorphins are released in the same way that some people cut. 
or harm themselves physically and it actually makes them feel better but it's in a really 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 unhealthy way and it's really bad for their bodies but in the moment it feels better it's like getting that high off of you know a drug or whatever I don't know I've never done that so but I'm, I'm thinking it's around the same thing from the things I've read about so how to help is calling the National P- Suicide Prevention Line which is at 1-800-273-8255. You can also reach out to people close to you and share what's been happening, and if a friend mentioned it to you, you do need to tell someone. Even if they don't mean it, it's better to get help and be, make sure that they're safe rather than sorry. Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about is different coaching styles. So we're moving a little bit away to, from the disorders, but within different coaching styles, I know that affects an athlete a lot. And for me, I've had some really bad experiences with coaches. So um, one quick story is I met up with a new coach for hurdles and I went through a couple run-throughs with her. She gave me some warm-ups and workouts to do, but I don't, I can't recall a single good thing that she said about my skills. Like she only had negative things to say and then expected me to fix it on the next run. So she'd be like, your arms are flailing. You need to keep your head down. You need to take this many steps. You need to be doing this. You need to watch your trail leg. You need to watch your lead leg. You need to leap further. Just a bunch of things. And then was like, okay, now fix it. And then she expected me to go back to the line and fix all of those things within my next run through. Sorry, what? Like, how does that even happen? I don't know anyone that can do that besides an Olympic athlete. And even then they're perfect. They don't need to change. So coaching styles are important. Because that is not how I can be coached. I mean, I literally went to my car afterwards and cried because I was so upset. Just because, like, that's not how I can be coached, you know? Like, I I need some compliments in there. So my hurdle coach now, who I freaking love, she's the most amazing human being in the entire world. Um, she coaches me in, like, kind of like a sandwich type of way, which is the way that I like to coach, um, which I'll get into. But when it comes to coaching, I'll do some, I'll, like, I'll do a run through in hurdles uh, which is usually my example because that's my main thing. But, uh, and she'll be like, okay, I really liked your speed in that one. Let's try to work on your arms. I also liked your start, you know, like kind of like a sandwich. So it's like good, bad, good, focus on fixing the bad, but you did have good things. So you don't need to change those, like making you feel better about yourself. So I recently started coaching hurdles and I'm coaching my old high school and it's amazing and I love it. And I didn't realize how much I would like being a coach, but I actually love it. And I'm working with a new girl who's never hurdled before. And I knew I was going to be frustrated, but like she's picking up on it really fast, which is amazing. And obviously she has a lot of work to do. I mean, like she's starting something that her freshman, sophomore year of high school that she's never done before. Obviously it's going to be hard to catch up on and she's doing her best. And, you know, she has a smile on her face, even though after her very first run through, she fell on her face and it sucked. And you could tell that it hurt. I mean, like hitting on the track on your face, like that hurts no matter what. And she got right back up and was like, I'll keep going. And I was like, okay. And like, she had really good speed. And so like, I mean, I was able to compliment her on like, I really like this. And I really like this. Let's try this or like try to do this. And like giving those compliments and then giving the feedback of like the negative feedback and then some more compliments, whatever, like kind of, it flows together well. And I really like how coaches do that. And there's other people who just want the negative feedback or they can't take negative feedback at all. But like 
how it works for you is how you need to like talk to your coach about that. And like, I know a lot of coaches have different coaching styles, can do different things with different athletes, but it's really important to communicate what you need with your coaches and like thinking about what motivates you as an athlete and what you need from them. So then telling them like you need them to give you compliments or telling them what you're doing well and then also helping with what you need or like setting up those extra times to talk to them or find the things that you need to do. Like go ask them that. Don't complain about not getting what you need if you haven't tried to get it. You know what I mean? So that's probably my big thing on coaching styles. And same thing with parents. Like it's really hard if your parents aren't supportive. I had, so I'm going to probably talk about a couple of different stories of people throughout this, but I had a girl DM me recently when I asked on my Instagram to hear people's stories about their mental health. And she said that she had to beg her parents to let her run throughout high school. They, they just wouldn't let her. And I don't really understand why parents wouldn't want their kids to go out for sports, but that's because mine were never like that. But she said that she basically had to force them to let her. And then when she got to college, she ran and she's now a sophomore in college and her parents have not come to a single one of her races. And she does both cross country and track and her parents haven't showed up to one race because they don't like it. They don't support it. I mean, like, are you kidding me? You don't support your kid enough to come watch them run in a race? I mean, like, that's very physically and mentally demanding and you're telling me you can't even spare a couple hours to come see your kid do what they love? I mean, that just blows my mind that parents don't care about their kids doing that the stuff that they love I mean if you love it you should be able to go do it and she did and she's I think that she is so strong for that because if my parents didn't support me in doing something I don't know if I'd be able to go through with it because I want to please my parents I mean like I'm super big on people pleasing anyway you guys know this my people pleasing guide that I have on my podcast (laughs) but it just it sucks to think about the fact that some people's parents just don't care or like don't support them or support their kids dreams I mean that just sucks it really does another thing for retired athletes is it's hard to watch other people play your sports my friend Courtney was texting me before this and was telling me about how like when she quit softball you know she felt better mentally but it really sucked seeing other people play her sport and her missing it you know like you miss playing your sport whether that's a volleyball, softball, track, cheer, lacrosse, baseball, whatever. You miss playing. I mean, when you grow up, you have kids, you watch your kids play the sports that you once played. It stings a little bit. I mean, personally, I don't know. But I've talked to my mom about it, and she has told me. But it's, I mean, it kind of stings because it's like, wow, I used to be out on that field. Like, this summer, I'm probably going to go watch my softball team play because I love them all so much, and they're my family. But I know that it's going to suck for me to sit there and be like, I'm not on the pitching mound. I'm not hitting. Like, it sucks. It's really hard. But, you know, as a retired athlete, I hope that you are finding or will find what makes you happy and the people that make you happy and the things that you are going to do and go through and what happens in your life. And I don't know. I mean, once you're retired from your sport, you have so much more freedom in the things that you do. And I hope that you find the things that make you happy. So moving into talking about injuries, they break us mentally and physically. Injuries break us. It's horrible. It sucks. And it's hard to deal with it. I mean, I deal with it by going through my PT and doing alternate workouts. So I'm in the pool. I was in the pool like four to five days a week. And I would work either by myself or with my friends or with my athletic trainer. And 
it was great for me, but I miss running. I mean, I still can't run and I just want to run out of all things that I could choose to do today. I would probably choose to go run. It sucks. And I mean, finding other things that make you happy are things that I, I think that's something that I really support is that if you can't participate in your sport right now, go find other things that make you happy. Go figure out what you enjoy. Like I enjoy reading. I enjoy my podcast. Obviously, I love you guys. And I do these other things that make me happy because like, I mean, right now, especially I can't run. And that's probably my favorite thing to do during the day. Now that I can't do it, I could just be laying in bed all day feeling sorry for myself. But instead, I have other hobbies that I can fall back on. So having other hobbies is really important and finding those things that make you happy. Because remember, going back to the beginning, we do not let sports define us. We can't let them define us. You have to find other things because once that sport is over, you won't have anything else to look forward to. You won't have anything else to do. So finding things that make you happy, do it, do it, do it, do it. So moving on from injuries, because I have like a million things that we're going to get through. Um, Being a student athlete is really hard. It's also hard to implement the student part of things, especially as a D1, D2 player. You know, you you don't have a lot of time for anything besides school and your sport. If anything, you just have time for your sport because, like, it's so physically and mentally demanding on you and your body that you feel like you don't have time to be a student. But being a student comes first. And all athletes of all ages need to remember that. I don't care if you have a four to six practice tonight. If you have a paper that's due at six and you haven't, you know, gotten through it, you have to go do your paper. It's not an option. You have to go do the other things that you're signed up for because if you don't do those things, you won't get to do the sport. If you don't do well in school, you can't do the sport. If you do fine in the sport, I mean, you have to balance the two out. You know what I mean? So it's it's a hard, it's a hard balance. I mean... It's something that you really have to communicate with yourself, your coaches, finding time, making time, keeping that structure in life. But being a student is really hard as a student athlete because you feel like you don't have time for everything. And then, like, if you have to choose between sports and school, obviously your sport is more fun. But school is something that's required of you. So taking that time to make sure that you're doing your schoolwork is, I think, a huge thing that I just wanted to hit on. Uh, Another thing is dealing with loss. I know loss is, it hits us really hard, whether it's losing in a lacrosse game or losing in a football game, whatever game it may be, it could be playoffs, it could be just like a regular season game, it sucks, and I have, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast or not, but when I was a senior in high school, I made it to state in 300 hurdles, which is a huge deal, I was kind of an underdog, I wasn't supposed to make it to state, I did, and I placed well. I placed 16th in the state, which is amazing. Except when I got done with my race, I took that as a loss. I was like, I didn't place as an all state, you know, so I obviously wasn't worth it. I wasn't good enough. I didn't even PR that race. I mean, I ran my best in the conditions that I was in, and that was something that I had to then tell myself for a really, really long time. It it sucked because, I mean, now I look back on it and I'm like, hell yeah, I was 16th in the state. In the entire state of Illinois, I got 16th. That's crazy. That's so crazy. And I look at it as a loss. I look at it like, well, sucks for me. I didn't do well. Hello? I look back at it now and I'm like, fuck yeah, I got 16th in the state. That's amazing. It just sucks dealing with loss. It deal like, I know that it's not a loss, but it still sucks. And like this summer, it was my last summer playing softball. We had won the championship 
uh, for in-town softball the last, I don't remember, two or three years in a row. Um, and my last season, we got second. And from the beginning of that game, from the first pitch, we knew we were going to lose. And going into it with that mindset sucked because, I mean, then we lost. And it sucked because it was my last year playing and I didn't go out on a high note because I lost. And, I mean, I, I got second in the whole tournament. And although we lost that last game, we had a really, really good season. And it sucks that as an athlete, we only focus on the losses. We only focus on the negative part of things. We don't look at the positives. Because, like, hello, we did great. We had an amazing season. Yeah, we didn't have an amazing game. But we still did our best. I mean, we went out there and did our best no matter what. Like, in my state track meet, I lost, kind of. I mean, I did well, but, like, in my head I lost. And I didn't PR, but it was because... You know, it was, I think it was 102 degrees that day. It was really, really, really hot. And there was nowhere that was air conditioned. Like, you just kind of had to suffer in the heat. And I was in the heat for about four hours before my race. And, like, then I was expected to go out and run my best. And it's like, okay, realistically, I can't do that. So, it it sucks, you know, coming in with that loss. But finding those coping mechanisms is really important. Don't shove it down. So, like, after the state meet, I cried the entire way home. It was, like, a two-and-a-half-hour drive. And then even after that, I calmed myself down. Then I took a shower, cried some more. And I cried for a couple days. And I started to fall back into this really bad state because I was so upset with myself with this loss. And I know a lot of us athletes go through these losses. I know a lot of us take these losses to heart, whether it's in a really big way where you're crying in the shower or crying on the bench, or it's in a small way where, like, you just kind of feel, like, bad, you know? And you kind of... You have to look back. You have to reflect eventually on the losses to move forward. You can't shove it down. You have to feel all you're feeling. You have to find other coping mechanisms that are what's right for you. I can't tell everyone what's right for them. I can only say what I did. I obviously went to therapy because that's my big thing. And I talked to my therapist. We then got in contact with my coach. And I was able to take some time off for my mental and physical health. And when I came back, I was better than ever. But it, it took some time. So to move in with coping and things to do besides sports, I know there's a lot of things we need to do to stay healthy. So I want to go through a couple of those healthy things that as athletes we need. So the first one is sleeping. Sleeping is obviously key. Getting a structured sleep schedule is something that I have always preached. And it's important to develop a structure for each day. And, you know, I feel overwhelmed that every day is different for me personally. But I know that like, a structured from four to six time is the time that I'll be at the gym working out. Like from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. every day, I'm always at the gym, except like Saturday and Sunday or Sunday or whatever. But keeping that structured schedule is really important, whether it's like, okay, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I know I have class at 9 a.m. or Tuesday, Thursday, I know I work at 10, you know, whatever. Having a structure is nice or like waking up at certain times. I hate waking up at random times or going to bed at random times. I just, I can't do it. And I don't know I was going to talk about this at some point, but I don't remember where I put it in here. But I basically have not been doing well sleep-wise. And I've been getting really emotional late at night. And I've been getting really, like, upset with myself. And I realized that part of that was because I was off of my sleep schedule. So at, like, after 11 o'clock at night, these, like, it's like I have a little devil on my shoulder and it's telling me like, you're a failure. You suck. You're never going to be as good as you think. Like you're never going to get these goals that you want. And I'm just like, what the heck? Because in my head, I don't believe it. But there's this little voice on my shoulder telling me that I should and that I do believe it. So then I'm like, well, what the heck? And so then I'm up in the middle of the night crying 
And so I've talked to my therapist and I made it a goal that I'm not going to bed any later than 11 anymore. And like, I usually don't go to bed later than 11 anyway, but there are some nights on weekends where I'll stay up late and then I'll end up crying myself to sleep because I stayed up too late and it's because I got out of schedule and I got out of habit. And with my PTSD, that's something that's really important to me is having that schedule and sticking to it. So I now make it a thing where I wake up between like 8 to 9.30 every morning and I go to bed between 10 and 11 every night. It's just like, or at least I get in bed by 10-ish and then I read till 11 at the latest and then I go to bed. Like that's something that's really important to me. You also have to give yourself permission for how you're feeling. So like we're resetting. It's the same plan, but a new year, but you're going to start over. You have great drive, great desire, and you're going to succeed. But it's all about that mindset working on mindset and I know for anyone that goes to Illinois Wesleyan we have Titan Mindset on Tuesdays every month it's like every like first month or second month of like the Tuesday or whatever um there's this Titan Mindset thing that we can go to that helps with our mental health I also know that some high schools host things like that or online you can find stuff like that it's a lot of it's a lot of help like the last one that I went to was talking about goal setting there's another one they just hosted about like alcohol and drug use for teens that are in sports and how that affects us negatively. Uh, Another thing is to focus on your story. So this is something we talked about earlier with competition. And it's natural for us to worry about what our competitors are doing, especially if we're worried because they might have a better training situation than us. If we believe that their coaches are doing more, they're doing more than we should be doing. So something that I work on is visualization and I watch myself perform and I reflect on that, whether that's like me going to bed at night and I'm imagining myself hitting the perfect forehand, things like that, like feeling my body doing those things or having a perfect race. It's important to have visualization, whether that's like in football, having a perfect pass, perfect kick, catch, whatever. It's important to get that in there. It's important to find those things. You also need to let go of the past and move on. Something that I needed to do with my state meet is I had to let go of the fact that I lost and move on and learn from it. And I have done that. It's also important to focus on your mental health, which is the whole point of this podcast. But one of my friends recently texted me about how, like, she quit her cheer team because it was bad for her mental health. And I feel like cheer has changed a lot over the years. Like, the last couple years, it's gotten to be, like, really, really, really intense. Whereas, like, 20 years ago, it wasn't as intense as it is now. And it's very mentally and physically demanding of students and girls in general. And, I mean, men too, but, like, it's very demanding of us. It's very hard on your bodies and your mind because like you have to work as a team. And if one person does something wrong, you all fail. Like you have to depend on each other. And so for her, you know, quitting the sport was the right thing for her. Uh, Another thing is focusing on your nutrition and controlling what you can control. Something that you can control is your nutrition. You can also control your sleep. You can control the things that you put into your body and whether or not that's going to benefit you. You also can talk with your coaches and your teammates and you can trust that it's a safe place for you and you're going to find that safe place or multiple. I mean, like for me, I go to where I watch the sunrise and sunset or there's like a park close to my campus. I was actually just there today with my friend Kaylee. She's staying with me over spring break, which is another reason why I'm filming this podcast episode in my car. But uh, I went to the park with her and we literally sat in the park for like two and a half ish hours and we read our books and it was so fun. And, like, we just got to, like, sit there and enjoy. So, like, coping things with, like, finding a safe place is really, really, really nice. Especially, like, for me, I love my car. That's another place that I love to be. Like, right now I'm in my car and I feel really safe and being able to talk. Although it's kind of hot. The sun is low-key coming down on me. I'm like, whew, shoddy is burning. Anyway, 
So uh, some of my personal favorites of things that I enjoy doing are, you guys have heard these if you've listened to the podcast consecutively, but I love reading and journaling. I love to watch Netflix, watching the sunrise or sunset, going to get tea is amazing. Going on adventures or hanging out with friends is also really fun. Laying in bed can be fun sometimes. I personally enjoy laying in bed, watching Netflix or reading or whatever, or sitting in my car and reading. Oh, dream, a dream. I, I literally love it. It's so great. So as coming to an end, I have a bit of a challenge for anyone that made it this far. I want you to share your story, whether that's with me or with someone else that you know. My ears are always open. My DMs are always open. I'd love to hear your story. And I know there's probably other people in your life that would love to hear your story as well. And I also want to thank all the people that did send me their stories. Thank you so much for reaching out. I know that it's really hard. I know that being an athlete is, it's really hard, especially as a student athlete. So thank you for being vulnerable with me today. Thank you for listening. I appreciate all of you. If you tried the challenge, even if you don't want to share your challenge with me, DM me and let me know on Instagram at Marissa Hagler and let me know how it goes for you and any goals that you hope to set for yourself. So this is a reminder for today that you matter. Have a great rest of your day and I will talk to you later.